Hey, Unnaturalists, I'm Emily. I'm Andy. And welcome back to another riveting episode of your favorite true crime podcast, Unnatural. Riveting? Good word. Another word to use for this episode might be creepy. A little creepy. Okay. The, the creep factor is going to be strong. Off the charts. Off the charts on this one. Have you ever had anything stolen from your place or from your car before? Yeah. What was it? Um, I had a roommate at one point in time that when they were moving out, they stole a bunch of my stuff. Oh, that's a nice parting gift. Like you and myself, most of us have either had something stolen from us, whether it's something small like the food you left in your company's fridge that some jerk took as their own, or something big like a car or maybe even a pet. I know a few people who have had their pets stolen. It's never a fun situation. And fun fact, according to the FBI, at least in the United States, only about 15 to 20% of burglars, robbers, thieves, whatever you want to call them, are actually brought to justice, leaving the vast majority of these cases left unsolved. That doesn't surprise me, actually. I feel like it should, but it doesn't. Yeah, whereas I I was looking up homicides, it's like 64% nationwide, obviously because it's a much bigger crime and there's probably a lot more police, you know, working on a homicide, at least you hope, than just a petty theft or something like that. But as we'll see in today's case, what initially might have been thought as a petty crime quickly spiraled into something much more horrific. This is the story of Colonel Russell Williams, the fetish burglar. October 1st, 2009, a 48-year-old music teacher named Ann Marson Cook was just getting home to her place in Ontario, Canada. It was Ann's birthday, and she had come home to change her clothes quick before heading out to a friend's house who was throwing her a birthday party. Her friend Howard Gray had followed her to her house And from what I gathered, he was like going to be the one driving to the party, kind of like the DD or something for the night. So Howard's waiting downstairs Anne rushes up to her bedroom to get changed and put some makeup on. But while doing so, she got one of those eerie feelings that we've all probably had at some points. The feeling that she was being watched. Have you ever had one of those? That is the worst feeling. Yeah, and you, especially if you don't know you're being watched, you just kind of have that sixth sense that something's just not quite right. With her face flushed and kind of looking around, but she couldn't exactly put her finger on it. That is until she noticed that not one, but both of her nightstands 
one on each side of her bed, were open ever so slightly. Well, I don't like that. Well, when she looked inside, she immediately noticed what was missing. Her collection of sex toys. Oh, what? (laughs) So when she surveyed the rest of her room, she came to the conclusion that whoever it was that had broken into her house appeared to only have taken the sex toys and then left, which is obviously super creepy. She ran downstairs and somewhat embarrassingly told Howard, who was waiting down there, what had been stolen from her room, to which Howard insisted that, look, this had to have been some kind of prank that somebody's playing on you. Nobody actually came into your house, broke in there, and stole your sex toys. I mean, who breaks into a house and only steals sex toys? Ann and Howard then decided to search the rest of the house to make sure the sex toys were the only things that had been run off with, which I'm sure if you can imagine this in your head, it was probably a bit awkward for both of them. I mean, they weren't dating or anything like this. They were just friends. And (laughs) I'm sure it was weird for her and Howard, but they, they couldn't find anything else that had been stolen, nor could they figure out how the intruder got in there in the first place as all of the doors and windows had been closed and locked when Anne arrived home? Yeah, that's creepy. It is. And not surprisingly, Anne was a bit unsure of what exactly to do. They debated calling the police. However, Howard talked her out of it. And I totally see Howard's line of thinking here. He thought, let's face it, the cops probably would not take the case very seriously. Sure, maybe they'd show up and get a statement. But once they found out what exactly had been stolen, they would probably merely just make a report, go back to the office and make jokes about it. Right. (laughs) And I got to say... My guy Howard was probably not wrong. Yeah. Don't you think? Yeah. I mean, wh- I mean what, do you, what do you say to the police in that situation? You know? Well, I mean, as we've seen, like some, or I guess like a lot of cops, like don't even always take like missing persons reports seriously. So, right. like, now you're going to call him and tell him that like a bunch of your sex toys got stolen. Okay. <laughs> right. Well, they decided against it. And she was thinking, look, I'd rather not be known as the woman in town with the stolen sex toys. I don't want that reputation. <laughs> so she, she didn't call him. The two made sure that there was no possible way to get into the house And then they went to her birthday festivities as planned. And apparently she was able to let loose a bit, at least kind of brush the incident to the back of her mind because her and Howard made a night of it and didn't uh, return back to Anne's home until the next morning. 
which if it were me, I don't know if I would have been able to do that. It would have just been lingering too much in my head like, oh my God, my house was broken into, you know, but apparently she was able to compartmentalize. Since her place had been broken into the day before, not surprising, Anne asked Howard to come inside with her before taking off just to make sure everything was on the up and up before he left. Almost like deja vu from the day before, Howard waited in the downstairs living room while Anne went up to her bedroom to kind of scope things over. And Emily, almost as soon as she got up there, she noticed something weird. In the far corner of her bedroom, a long since forgotten computer sat. Anne couldn't even remember the last time she had used the thing Yet there it was, turned on, with a Word document opened. When she walked over to the computer, she noticed something had been written on the Word doc. And the words Anne read made her scream in such a horrifying way that Howard came rushing upstairs to see what was wrong. On the screen it read, Go ahead, phone the police. I want to show the judge your big dildos. <laughs> it's like I'm hearing it for the first time. And it's still funny. I I just can't imagine what she was thinking when she read that. Obviously, I it's understandable why she started screaming. Yeah, and I'm sure she was probably like, oh, no, I don't want the police to know about my dildos. But at the same time, like... If the guy, like, he's he's confessing to the crime if he's, like, going to show the police the, the dildos. Right. So, like, he did it. He has them. So, it's, like... Super creepy. Call his bluff is what I'm saying. Well, and then Howard runs in the bedroom. So, he goes in there and was pointing at the screen And he would later say that when he read it, it was the only time in his life when the hairs on the back of his neck stood up. Because it is kind of one of those goosebump moments, you know? Oh, for sure. So, again, they decided to look around the entire house to see how the hell somebody could have gotten in, especially after the last time. And they also kind of surveyed the home to see if anything else had been taken And it was then when Anne realized something else had been taken. All of her lacy lingerie. Mm -hmm. Which, it just gets creepier. I mean, this fucking guy. (laughs) The sex toys and the lingerie. After doing another thorough examination of all the doors, windows, and locks, it was at that moment... Howard realized... Did they check the attic? That the... Well, no. I'm not sure if she had an attic or not, or at least one that was accessible. But Howard did realize that the back door that he had locked the night before was unlocked from the inside. So... So he's living in the house somewhere. He's hiding in the house. Well, yeah. if you're picking up what I'm throwing down here, yeah, that means the night before... 
when Anne was freaking out over her sex toys being stolen, getting dressed and checking all the locks, the intruder was still inside the house. Mm-mm. And he only left after they went to the party, which explains the message he wrote on her computer as well, because he likely heard them discussing whether or not they should call the police. How fucking creepy is that? Dude, there's a movie. Um, well, there's like that horror movie, like The Last House on the Left or whatever, where like the call is coming from inside that. Yeah. But there's also a movie. I watched it not long ago, but I can't remember what it's called. Um, actually, no, I'm not going to tell you because you have to watch it. Okay. I think it's, I'll figure, I'll what? figure out what it's. I was going to say, I need the title. <laughs> yeah. I'll figure out what <laughs> Okay, it's called. All right, let you, you figure know. out the title. And as you can imagine, Anne's mind, Anne's mind began racing. She wondered if the intruder had maybe ever been in her home before. And that this was maybe just the first time she had noticed. She also wondered what would have happened had Howard not been there with her the night before. Would she have been sexually assaulted or even murdered? Maybe the reason that the intruder didn't come after her was because somebody else was in the house with her. Kind of crazy stuff to think about. And after realizing the severity of the situation and did finally call the authorities and alert them of the crime. And once she did call the police, she was soon hit with a pretty staggering truth bomb that she was only the latest victim in a string of incidents perpetrated by a man the cops were calling the fetish burglar. So as it turns out, the police had been investigating over a dozen other burglaries over the past two years in the area that bore a striking similarity to Anne's case. They told her that the assailant almost always targeted single women and took intimate items from their homes while they were away. Usually, just like what happened to Anne, sexy toys or lingerie, something like that. Now... This does raise a whole number of questions like, why hadn't the public been alerted to this creepy guy? So they could be on the lookouts. And why after two years hadn't he been caught yet? I mean, I know these are considered maybe petty crimes, but they're still super creepy and pervy crimes. Were the police just not taking it seriously enough? Who knows? Probably not. Well, in part... The police said that this individual was extremely careful and also because of the unique items he was taking, sometimes the victims wouldn't even notice that they had been robbed or that somebody had broken into their home for months, you know, months later after the break in. It's not like you're always going to grab your lingerie or your sexy toys every single night. Right. I mean, maybe some people are, but the majority of us probably don't do that, I guess. (laughs) More often than not, after receiving a complaint and doing a quick investigation, the case file would be put into a manila envelope, shoved in a filing cabinet, and forgotten about. 
It feels kind of like he was regarded as more of an irritant than anything else. But unfortunately, he would turn out to be much, much more than that. He began to get more bold, and if you can believe it, even more creepy. Listen to this one. In one instance, a family reported that all of their teenage daughter's underwear had been stolen from her room, along with all of the photos of her cut out of the family photo albums. I kind of wish that you guys could, like, see my face with some of these things. I was just I was just going to say, our, our audience can't see you right now, but uh, your facial expressions are telling. Horrified and disgusted. And I guess the only thing he left behind in that instance was a one-word note on top of the underwear drawer that just simply said Mercy. The kid's underwear drawer? The daughter? Yeah. How old did you say yeah. she was? Sorry, I forgot. Uh, I believe she was like 12 or 13. Yuck. Another time, he snuck into a woman named Lori Masakati's home. Now, Lori had fallen asleep while watching TV, and she woke up to a blanket smothering her. As she struggled, she heard a man tell her to calm down. But when she continued to resist, the man began striking her with an object until she finally stopped resisting. This guy explained to Lori that right at that moment, she was being robbed by a group of men who were combing through the rest of her home to gather all of her valuables. And it was this guy's job to watch her so she didn't try to escape or call for help. Mm -mm. So he's escalating too now. Yeah. Now he's actually making physical contact. Yeah. And he proceeded to tell Lori that if she didn't cause any problems, she wouldn't be hurt. And once the robbery was over, they would be on their way. Was he lying? Yeah, in a sense, and we'll get to that. But Lori reluctantly agreed to this, and the man continued to tie the blanket around her face so she couldn't see anything. He also briefly tied her arms and legs to a chair and began interrogating her, asking her what her name was, who else lived in the home, where she worked, Yeah. He actually even apologized for striking her. 
apparently things got so cordial between them. And I'm guessing, and we've seen this before in other cases when someone's been kidnapped, where the victim tries to humanize themselves so that way they're not killed. Yeah. And she was, she got to talking to him, asked him if she could smoke a cigarette because she was so stressed out. He denied that, but he did let her get some Tylenol to help mend the pains that she was having from being struck over the head. He then asked her if he could take a picture of her. And no, sir. No, you can't. Get out of my house. <laughs> right. He said the, the photos that he was about to take would be used as collateral in case Lori thought about going to the police after he and his buddies left, saying that if she did go to the cops, that he would send these photos to her friends, her family, her work, and just make her life a living hell. Which, I don't know if you're understanding this, but it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. That doesn't sound like collateral to me that just that's just this guy's weird justification for being creepy and wanting to take photos of Lori and hoping that she didn't catch on to his creepiness yeah she hadn't even agreed to this and she could hear the digital camera start to take photos of her and then he whispered in her ear to take her clothes off After she took her clothes off, he proceeded to take photos of her in almost complete silence for the next couple of hours while she was naked with her head wrapped underneath this blanket. How many photos did he take? That's what I was wondering. Like, how long does that take and how creepy? I mean, everything about this guy is creepy, but it just... Yeah. continues to get more and more creepy here. Well, and I mean, like, does she believe... Well, I'm not trying to, like, say anything negative about her, but, like, at this point in time, like, does she still believe that there's a bunch of men in her house robbing her, or has she kind of figured out that it's just this guy? She probably was catching on at this point, because you, you would probably hear stuff going on in the rest of the house. Yeah. And as you have already caught on... She wasn't being robbed, but the man told her that the robbers had now completed clearing out her home and all of its valuables. He thanked her and left, and she waited a few moments just to make sure he was gone. He before thanked taking... her? Yeah, he thanked her. What a fucking It's so weird. And she actually told him not to forget to rub the Tylenol bottle off so his fingerprints wouldn't stay on there. I think she was just doing whatever she could to ensure her own survival. Yeah. Trying to, you know, play the friend to this guy. But anyway, after waiting a few moments, she took the blanket off of her head. He was gone. She looked around the house. And as you already guessed, none of her valuables had been taken and there was no robbery. Yeah. I almost feel like even though nothing was taken out of the, out of her home, this is worse than a robbery. For sure. I would much rather be <sighs> robbed than like be forced to like 
be blindfolded and naked and have some weird ass dude take pictures of me. Right. Now, as you can imagine, she immediately called the police. Yeah. And she soon realized that another assault had occurred on the same street that she lived on just a few weeks prior. But just like some of the previous cases we heard about, this hadn't been notified to the public. Now, just a brief Cliff Notes version of this one, very similar to Lori's, only this woman was the mother of a newborn. She had been knocked out in the middle of the night, stripped naked, and once again, the guy took a bunch of pictures of her. Oh my God, that is just... Ugh, ugh, ugh. It gives me the goosebumps, like the heebie-jeebies. I don't like it at all. Well, and it makes you wonder what kind of person is doing this. Like, how is this person even active in society when they're this fucked up in the head? But keep in mind, neither of these women were sexually assaulted in the physical sense. Now, obviously, emotionally, they certainly were sexually assaulted but that combined with the fact that they lived on the same street made police come to the conclusion that this was the same perpetrator but since there was no dna no semen anything like that it made it much more difficult to find this guy and while they hadn't positively identified the man yet police were pretty confident that this guy lived nearby and had likely been spying on these women for le- for weeks leading up to the break-ins. It was almost like he was surveying, making sure that they lived alone, knowing when they went to bed at night, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Which is just even more horrifying because then like you know like you're you're being watched. You know? Yeah. I don't like that. Yeah, I mean, we already have to worry about Big Brother watching us. Not some creepy guy across the street, too, you know. (sighs) And for what appears to be the first time in this entire string of investigations, the police were on to something. Because the man in question did live, live nearby. And he was a person of some importance. He was 46-year-old Russell Williams, a married father of two and a colonel in the Canadian military. Maybe not the picture you were painting in your head of who this guy might be. No. I was thinking like like a skinny, lang, like, you know, like tall, skinny like a rat looking type person that maybe like cleans gutters for a living. I don't know. Yeah. Well, this guy was basically the exact opposite of that. I mean, he was a pretty big deal in the Canadian military. I could spend an entire episode on this guy's backstory because there's a lot to dive into here, but Let's just say he was kind of a big deal. He had risen to such prestige in the Canadian Air Force that 
he was like the guy they turned to to fly all these important missions. He had even flown the prime minister of Canada and even the queen of England to their destinations when they visited the area. Huh. I mean, that just goes to like, you ne- you never really know somebody, do you? <laughs> Now, the police began canvassing the entire neighborhood looking for potential creepers, but to no avail at first. But for the first time, they finally, finally released a statement alerting the public to this guy. On November 26th, the boyfriend of Corporal Marie France Cumeau got to her home only to find her with duct tape covering her mouth and her nose. Mm-mm. He immediately called authorities who came to her house at where she was pronounced dead at the scene. And they initially thought her death was a suicide, but later reclassified it after finding blood in her basement and also blood on some sheets that were in her washing machine that had been soaked in bleach. What? Yeah, so it sounds like he killed her with, you know, maybe some sort of sheet. Maybe he was trying to do the same thing he did with the woman before and put the blanket over her head, Um, killed her with the sheets, and then tried to wash the the blood out of the sheets, but for some reason left the sheets in the washing machine. I mean, okay. I ain't no killer, but if it were me, I would just get rid of the sheets. <laughs> I don't know. But so just like Russell Williams, Marie actually worked in the Canadian Air Force and was a corporal flight attendant. Her boyfriend told police that just a few days before she was found dead, she had been actually complaining to him that someone had been rifling through her drawer and taking a number of pairs of her underwear and lingerie. In fact, she was thinking that it was her boyfriend and was very pissed off at him. And he's like, it wasn't me. I don't know who's getting into your underwear drawer, but it wasn't me. So that was the only, you know, foreshadowing of what was about to happen to her. A few months go by until police were able to finally figure out who had been committing these crimes. On January 28th of 2010, a 27-year-old woman by the name of Jessica Lloyd disappeared from her home in Belleville, Ontario. Now, investigators identified some very distinct tire tracks that were left in the snow along the north tree line of her property. And one week after her disappearance, the police kind of conducted a big-time canvassing of the area where they were pulling over all the motorists who were coming in and out of the neighborhood. And on February 4th, they uh, pulled over Russell Williams and he was driving a Nissan Pathfinder that day rather 
than a BMW, which apparently he usually drove. And sure enough, an officer noticed the resemblance of his tire treads. Thank God for this officer that noticed this. Yeah. These were matched to the treads near Lloyd, near Jessica Lloyd's home. So on February 7th of 2010, Russell Williams was at his newly built residence, which is which was in the Ottawa suburb of Westboro. And this was where he and his wife lived full time. Apparently, he had another place where he only lived part time. She never lived in that place, but this was the place where they both lived. Uh, and he was called by the Ottawa Police Service and asked to come in for questioning. Now, before I get to it, would you like to take a guess? Do you think he stood firm and resolute and denied everything? Or do you think he came clean pretty quickly? I don't know. I feel like I feel like it could go... Either way. Yeah, because, I mean, most people would deny, 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 which leads me to believe maybe he's throwing us for a loop and was like, yep, you got me. I was kind of surprised because he's a guy in the military, very respected. I feel like he would try and deflect this, but he was interrogated at the police headquarters that afternoon and after being presented with all of the evidence, including the tire tread evidence linking him to Jessica Lloyd's disappearance, he began unloading and he sang confessing. like a canary. Yeah, a canary in a coma. I mean, he is con- confessing to all of it, even the stuff that they don't know about. It's like he was happy to get this off his chest, or maybe he was proud. Yeah. You know how sometimes well, and I mean, like, the sometimes, killers want to you know, be caught. Yeah, that's what I was just going to say. Like, after so long, you know, you get sloppy almost because you want to get caught. Or I wonder, I mean, did are you going to get into this? Did he, like, say yeah. why he did it or, like, why he confessed? Yep. Was yep. it just, so, like, like, he wanted to get caught and he just wanted to, like, he couldn't stop. So he wanted to get caught and then he just figured he would come clean about everything. That's basically what it was. He admitted that he had met Marie Kumo on a military flight and as her commander was easily able to access her personal information. Mm-hmm. And um, this is uh, taken from Canadian Crimopedia here. He first broke into Marie's home in Brighton, Ontario while she was away on one of her flights. And after he parked his car in a wooded area about uh, 500 feet from Marie's residence, he broke into her home through a basement window. He spent over an hour in her home that night taking photos of himself, wearing her panties, wearing her bras, putting sex toys in them. Just some creepy, creepy shit. And investigators found all of these photos. But Mm -hmm. um, so this was around the time 
if you remember, I told you Marie had noticed that someone had been going through her underwear and blamed her and blamed her boyfriend. Yeah. So then a few days later, Russell Williams again broke into her home. This was around 1030, 11 o'clock at night outside of her house. He could hear her talking on the phone in her bedroom. He entered through the basement window. And when he got down there, apparently he hid behind her furnace for about 30 or 40 minutes waiting for her to go to bed. Wow. But before she did go to sleep, she couldn't find one of her cats. So she was looking all over her place for one of her cats. Well, guess where the cat was? It down was with in him. the basement staring at him, sitting right next to him, like a good cat would do. You know, it's probably, you know, because cats, they pick up on any kind of sound. It probably knew he was down there for a long time, and it was just sitting down there staring at him, wondering, what, what the, the hell, hell is this guy doing? doing down here? Yeah, nope. Well, it was then that... Marie Kumo noticed Russell Williams. He had his face covered and apparently he hit her several times with one of those big mag light flashlights. They struggled in the basement and that's where some of the blood had dropped mm -hmm. that we talked about earlier. Eventually Marie fell backwards and Russell kind of subdued her. He then tied her to a post with her clothing, I guess. And then just like we kept, you know, just like we heard before, he took a bunch of pictures of her. After looking around the house, making sure that nobody else was in there, he took even more pictures of Marie Kumo naked. And remember, she was unconscious at this point. So he's taken pictures of her naked while she's lying on the staircase. Then he took her to her bedroom where he raped her for the next two hours, oh all God. while taking photos and videotaping everything. And you mentioned this before. It's almost like he had been emboldened so much because the police maybe weren't putting in enough effort into these investigations as they should have. Yeah. So he just kept going a little bit further, a little bit further until finally he raped and killed a poor woman. And it just makes you think that, man, if they would have been able to take this seriously in the beginning, like with Anne, none of this would have ever happened. But she wasn't the last person to die. As we mentioned, there was also Jessica Lloyd. And uh, this is what he said in regards to her. So this is a few months after Maria was in January where Russell Williams noticed her on a treadmill through the window at her house. The next day, he apparently showed up. She had been texting with one of her friends, but that was the last thing anybody ever heard from her. 
he broke into her home while she was away, made sure that she lived alone, and then he parked in a field behind her house to wait until she got home. When she did get home, he broke in, entered in the bedroom while she was sleeping. As soon as she woke up, he hit her in the head with a mag light again. And as if I didn't need to say it before, but certainly a trigger warning. Um, He tied her up, blindfolded her with duct tape, took pictures of her throughout the assaults. And just like Marie videotaped himself raping her, Jessica was still alive and conscious. She was so frightened that she cooperated with everything that he was saying to her just to save her own damn life, you know? Yeah. She apologized for doing whatever he perceived was wrong. She was just trying to get out of there alive. The attack lasted around three hours. After it was done, he bundled her in some blankets and took her into his truck and to his home in Tweed, which was not the home that he lived at with his wife. It was his separate home. Yeah, of course. He had a separate home. Yeah. When they got there around 5 a.m., apparently Russell forced her to take a shower and allowed her to sleep for a few hours. And when she woke up, she had a seizure. And I'm not sure if this was a medical issue that she had already previously had. It sounds like it was. Yeah. I didn't look into it, um, but it sounds like she had this medical diagnosis. And Williams was quoted as saying to her, Quote, don't make it worse for yourself. Talk to me, Jessica. Talk to me. Like he was her friend or something, you know. Um, so she Did he say, begging, was he planning on killing her when he took her? I don't, you know, it's just, I don't think he was, but again, that he had gone. seizure probably threw him for a loop. I think maybe the seizure had thrown him for a loop and... You know, in his mind, well, he thought... Well, but I mean, he did take her to a second location. Yeah, so maybe he was thinking about killing... It's hard to put yourself in the mind of a deranged person like this. Yeah. You know, Well, and like, been- all of the self-defense folks and, like, FBI, military, yada, yada, like, they all say, like, in those types of situations, like, you do not let them get you to a second location. No second location. Like, you right. fight like hell. Yeah. And then I think it's like if they get you to the second location is when you really have to work on like humanizing yourself. Yeah. And she was just begging him to take her to a hospital. She was so afraid after she had her seizure. Yeah. He was quoted as later saying that she told him, quote, if I die, will you make sure that my mom knows that I love her? Oh, my God. And it's crazy that he would remember that and would tell authorities that later in the confession process. But after raping her again, he gave her some fruit to eat. He got her dressed. He removed the duct tape. 
and looked like he was going to let her go. And then at the last moment, struck her over the head with a flashlight. And when she fell upon the ground, that's when he strangled her with a rope, took more pictures of her after she had died, and then buried her in a shallow grave. So when he was leaving, those were the tire tracks that he had left outside her home, which inevitably was the thing that got him got. Good. He also told police where they could find all of the evidence for all of this, including inside his homes. Apparently, and we've seen this many times before in some of our other cases we've covered, he had kept keepsakes. Um, he kept all those photographs he had taken of the victims and of himself posing in their underwear. Okay, so I Googled him. I had to see what this fucking guy looked like. And really like, looks like a, a prototypical military dude. I mean. Yeah, but then like some of like, there's some, like the first few pictures are of him like in his military getup. But then like they do have several pictures of him in the lingerie. Yeah. <laughs> Please cut this off. But. <laughs> and he does like a front and back photo in each of the outfits. I just. He looks very serious in them too. And he does. It's. They're funny. It, what he did is awful, or what happened to these women is awful. But those fucking. Photos. I know. Well, and that's that's the thing because when I was first researching this, I felt kind of bad because you know in the beginning when you're reading about him, you know taking her dildos, and you're read about reading about him taking her lingerie and writing the note about the dildos and the judge. It's genuinely funny. But obviously, it took a drastic turn here. Yeah, and what's up with the hair? Like I know, like his hairline, his like hairline from ear to ear, like starts at his ear, like right in front of his ear, and then just like goes up and around. But then he just has like this one patch, like it's like a rectangle in the middle of his head. It's like, <laughs> dude, you're bald. You might as well just cut your hair to show that you're bald instead of trying to pretend like you're not. You yeah, know? and like you can't even pass that off as like like a very pronounced widow's peak. Right. Like go to our if you're not going to look this up yourself, like definitely go to our Instagram page and cuz oh I am going to I'm going to post like just a picture of like the top of his head with this fucking goofy ass hairline. He did have a goofy ass hairline. Just a, I mean, just one of the strangest cases I've ever come across. But he also identified on a map where he disposed of Jessica Lloyd's body and led them to the location of it the day after he confessed. Um, regarding his court case, he was in Ontario. Superior Court, where Justice Robert Scott sentenced him to two concurrent terms of life in prison with no consideration for, per for parole. Good. Yeah. 
don't have the death penalty in Canada. So uh, that wasn't on the table. Um, after he was convicted, the governor general of Canada, David Johnston, revoked his commission and expelled him from the armed forces. He was also stripped of the rank of colonel in the Royal Canadian Air Force, as well as all of his military decorations. And just in case you're wondering, his wife did file for divorce not long after he was apprehended. What year was that? Did you say 2013? Uh, 2010 was when he was caught. Oh. Yeah, he's 63 now, I believe. Um, and I, let's see, I think he's in... Um, he is believed to be imprisoned at the high security prison in Port Cartier, Quebec. I don't know if I pronounce that right. But guess who else is in that prison? (laughs) A guy we've also done an episode on, believe it or fucking not. (laughs) I'm just finding this out. It's going way back to our early days. You remember the, the pig? Guy? F- no, the pig farmer killer. Yeah. Robert William Picton is also being held at this prison. Didn't he have that? something to do with an airplane? Did he? I don't remember. I don't remember. I, he was a pig farmer that would like take people to his pig farm and kill him. Yeah, I remember that. Forget about the airplane. <laughs> I don't know. I'm stuck on an airplane. <laughs> so maybe uh, Robert Willie Picton will get after our, our boy Russell Williams. Do some. A little bit, uh, a little bit of jailhouse justice? Jailhouse justice. Yeah. That's crazy. I had no idea they were in the same prison. That just shows that we've started to do a lot of cases here. When that kind of when those kind of coincidences yeah. <laughs> take place. Who else have we done in Canada? I swear to God, there's something that has to do with an airplane and it happened in Canada. What airplane are you saying? Maybe Alaska? <laughs> oh yeah, that was uh, like our th- fourth episode. That was the uh something butcher was he the guy that posed and took photos of his victims like while they were dead but they looked alive did we do that one the butcher baker yeah he was a guy that uh, abducted and killed like prostitutes and women in the alaska in the 70s and would put them in his airplane and fly them to the woods and then kill them oh yeah okay well, Alaska's close enough to Canada, so is Minnesota. But it's, it's, it's so you were kind. Your your brain was kind of on the right track. Yeah, I was. You were just thinking of a completely different. You almost got there. That's that ADHD doing its part. It really is. Yeah. So that's all I got. If our listeners want to chime in on this and give us their thoughts on whether or not the police could have prevented this sooner or anything like that. They can always 
head on over to our socials. Yeah, do that. Come on over to Instagram and make fun of this guy's hairline. We are at Unnatural the Podcast. We also have a Facebook page, Unnatural, a true crime podcast. Send us your thoughts via Gmail, unnaturalthepodcast at gmail.com. Also, consider signing up for our Patreon page where you'll get early access to ad-free episodes, bonus content, and more. That is patreon.com slash unnaturalthepod. As always, be sure you rate, subscribe, follow, and share us with your friends. And we will talk to you next week. On that note. Make good choices. And don't get got. Bye. And here I am. Yeah, you still got a good head of hair. Congratulations. I'm still in pretty fucking good shape, so I'm proud of myself. As you should be. So, ladies, if you're listening, stop it. This isn't a dating. (laughs) 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 Thank God it's not. Oh, can you imagine? Oh, God. Unnatural turns into unnatural dating. God. I mean, we could, we could, we could do our own podcast, probably, just like telling our own like bad dating stories. I feel that's like. actually not a bad idea because we both have quite a few of them. I mean, I could make an entire episode just reading that one text I got from that one guy that was like seventeen pages long. Yeah, that would be good. What was it? Um, I had a roommate at one point in time that when they were moving out, they stole a bunch of my stuff. Oh, that's a nice parting gift. Yeah, you want to know one thing they stole? What? An adult toy. You're fucking kidding me. No. (sighs) Well, um, (laughs) you're in luck, Emily, because (laughs) this episode is about stealing adult toys. Great. I, I don't know if you want to elaborate on that or not. I'll elaborate off the record. Okay.